we've laid the foundation. I've looked at a lot of that was all biblical. So some people might wonder, like the first five weeks, like, hey, Jimmy, it's apologetics. Why is it all Bible? And then why is it um, now this week onward, some people might say, hey, why is it get so philosophical? So I laid the biblical foundation. We saw we have the duty to defend the faith. And there's a certain way, according to scripture, we defend the faith. We still hold the scripture as truth. We hold to, and we have to look at it as a worldview, as a whole package. Okay, if you guys remember all that. So tonight we're going to be looking at, um, it's going to be now application. Specifically, we want to look at the issue of atheism. And before we, we look at that, I actually want to look um, just as a devotional part before we get into the nitty gritty of atheism and refuting atheism. Is I actually want to look at Jesus, the way he deals with apologetics. Okay, um, I think maybe later on I would like to do this too where we look at how did Jesus deal with unbelief? Like, what are the various tactics he pursues? Okay, but let's just open this up. I'm, again, uh, I could go on to hold this this in, in depth. This was actually part of my thesis for my second master's um, with uh, Jesus's, uh, how he dealt with unbelief and its implication for apologetics. But if you guys could turn with me real quick in Luke 20, verses 1 to 8. I just want to just highlight some things. And again, we could go more in depth, but I just want to highlight some things just so that we begin with scripture first. Um and just highlight even why I'm going to do the way the, the things that I'm doing. That I'm not going out of nowhere. But there's actually biblical reasons why I'm trying to do what I'm doing. Even though it gets really philosophical with atheism that we, when we refute this. okay? Uh, Luke 20 verses 1 to 8. This is what I'm going to just read first. Um, and just pay attention. Even as I read this, just think about how did Jesus deal with these opponents that attack him. That even, even challenge with unbelief. Okay. Um, Luke 20 verses 1 to 8 says this, and again, the context, this is the last few days before Christ would die on the cross. Um, this speaks to us that we have to be bold, we have to be compassionate. You know, we see Jesus even cries, um, he wishes Jerusalem would flock back to God, right? But yet also, he was also passionate with unvarnished truth, 100%, 16 ounces of the pound of, of, of biblical truth still, okay? When we look at this, he says, on the... One of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to them, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Verse 5, they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he would say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that Jesus was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay. So notice when Jesus here is dealing with, I think this is a very apologetic kind of scenario, because these uh, religious leaders are challenging Jesus because he's claiming to be the Messiah. And when they deal with this, notice like oftentimes with unbelief, what they often do. Uh, hold a quick side real quick. Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, could you guys behave? Because we are doing Bible studies, okay? And this is something serious with God's word, okay? So in verses 1 to 8, what we see here um, is notice they challenge the question of authority. Have you guys ever had this? When you, someone, sometimes you would say, hey, this is right or wrong. And then a non-believer would say, well, by what standard? Or they even say, hey, what authority does, do you have to say this is right and wrong? Doubt, don't, thou shalt not judge. Anyone ever had that kind of incident, right? Uh, or any, anyone even had the challenge where sometimes a non-believer would come with the question and say, hey, I don't believe in God. And you say, no, the God of the Bible is real. And they'll say, well, how do you know that? I've never seen him, taste and touch him. I'm bringing this up is to say when we deal with these questions, notice what Jesus does is not right away give evidence. 
After all, Jesus had authority to do many things. To even in the context, what Luke 20 happened was right before this, Jesus actually um, cast out the money changer. And they're saying, hey, well, what authority do you have to do these things? Now, did Jesus show a lot of evidence that he's the Messiah? He has authority? Yes. But in this very moment, when in this challenge, notice because they're challenging, they're putting him in the dock, they're testing him. He didn't just say, okay, I'm just going to give evidence. He actually challenged them with a question. So they had a challenging question, and he gave what is called a counter question. So instead of right away saying, okay, here's the reason, my evidence for my authority, I, I cast out demons, I do all these things, those are great evidence with that. He didn't give evidence in an evidential way. Notice he becomes presuppositional. In a sense, he challenged, even asked the question of even their own authority. Do you guys see this? Where he says to them, where he says, I'll ask you a question, you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And he's going to actually eventually put them in a dilemma to say there could be only two possible choice. That, and by, by the way, when you think about it, why he asked that question, Jesus was not dodging he was not running away because how you answer about John the Baptist will determine the evidence. But he did not give evidence in a neutral fashion. He, how you answer that is going to determine because if John the Baptist really authority comes from God and John the Baptist point to Jesus and says this is the Messiah, then therefore that's the authority Jesus shows that he is definitely the Messiah, has authority to do all the things. But moreover, if they reject this, he wants to put them in a dilemma because the religious leaders um, are supposed to know things. But then if they answer they don't know, then it's almost like, wait, how could you not know? There's now an epistemological or a challenge he has to their worldviews, okay? And of course, he, they were also afraid because they're afraid the people would, would stone them. And notice he's what he's doing here is he's very tactical in how he consider giving evidence and how he dealt with the issue of authority, okay? So tonight, what I'm going to do, the same thing is also as well, is when we look at atheists, when they come and challenge says, hey, I don't believe, um, you know, don't be right away, give evidence right away. It's the same thing sometimes in our own life. If I come up to one of you guys and I say, Hey, when was the last time you beat your wife? Any, if I ask that question, if someone came up to Jimmy Lee and asked, when was the last time I beat, they say, when was the last time you beat your wife? Um, do I then go to a ring camera and show, hey, you know what? A week ago, if you look at a week ago, my wife does not have any bruises. Do I, do I go into the, that as evidence? Do I say, hey, look at it, examine medically, there's no bruises? Or how many of us would do that? I know I wouldn't. I would start asking some questions because there's some assumptions they're making, true or not. I'll be asking, wait, number one, how do you know I have a wife? And number two is, why do you even assume that I'm already beating my wife in the first place when you ask a question, right? So in the same way, when we deal with atheism, we have to, de we have to deal with a whole package worldview, okay? The whole thing and show that the problem is it's problematic to begin with, okay? So let's go to the next slide. Tonight, we're going to be having four points. Oh, I think I did not put a PowerPoint of uh, the four point for tonight. Um, these are the four points for tonight, okay? Um, so we're going to be looking at the issue of atheism with the issue of what is called empiricism and materialism. Um, so these are going to be the four points. Don't worry, I'm going to define these terms, okay? So these are the four points for tonight. Number one is I want to look at a reminder of how to refute worldviews. Point number one is reminder of how to refute worldviews. Uh, I, I know we went over that last week. It was kind of brief towards the end, but I want to remind this first um, because we want to be biblically faithful and also we want to be rigorous. And I think those are not incompatible. We could actually be biblical, faithful to our worldview, and also be rigorous in how we, we, we deconstruct things, okay, or refute things, okay? So point number one, reminder of how to refute worldviews. Point number two, we're going to look at definitions with the atheist worldview. 
definitions with the atheist worldviews, okay? And then uh, definitions with the atheist worldviews. Thank you, Chris, for adjusting on the fly, okay? Definition with the atheist worldview. Point number three, we're going to look at problem with empiricism. Problem with empiricism. So if you need to spell empiricism, um, you can see in the PowerPoint, okay? Uh, I'm a horrible person with spelling. If you guys, some of you guys on social media would realize in my blog, I have really bad grammar, okay? Um, it's, it's a wonder. I'm so glad I'm married to my wife to homeschool because she teaches the grammar part and I just teach the, you know, other stuff, okay? Grammar and literature and, and stuff like that, okay? Empiricism is spelled E-M-P-I-R-I-C-I-S-M, okay? Um, and point number four is going to be problem with materialism. Point number four is problem with materialism, okay? I might not have a PowerPoint with that. Okay, oh. okay yeah, I did not. I need to fix that, okay? Um, don't worry, by 4 a.m. the next morning, I'll have everything smoother and emailed out, okay? So, problem with materialism. Let me remind us again the four point. Number one, reminder of how to refute worldviews. Number two, definitions with, the, with atheist worldviews. Number three is problem with empiricism and problem with materialism as point number four. Um, the reason why I'm looking at it this way is why we're focusing on refuting atheism is oftentimes when people challenge a faith, you often hear this in America is often what the, uh, with atheism as an operating worldview, right? That they say it doesn't. And the reason why I want to refute atheism is this, like um, if you guys were to get in a, in a knife fight or get in a gunfight, um, I hope none of us would ever be saying, oh, I'm going to learn how to dodge bullets, right? Um, you know, if you go in a gunfight and you're in the middle of a room and if someone shoots you and you boom, you miss, you're like, boy, you can say, I'm glad I missed, but I'm not going to be the whole time playing dodgeball, right? You're going to be focusing on what disarming their, their weapon, right? You're going to be focusing on disarming them from even the possibility to even mount an attack, okay? Now, I'm not saying this with being a phony tough, right? I know, again, again let me say this, in, in a room with this group, some of you guys have background, you know, not phony tough, I'm a small little guy, right? But generally, we have this idea, no matter, you know, uh, what you're doing is you want to disarm rather than just wait and say, oh, I'm going to wait until they shoot and then dodge, right? It's not a game of battleship. You're just waiting each at a turn. You want to disarm the ability for them even to mount an attack in the first place, okay? You, in other words, you want to remove their possibility of their presupposition at, at that level, right, um, with that. So let's go to point number one, a reminder of how to refute worldviews. And then if we could go to the next slide real quick. Um, how do we refute worldviews? Remember, like we have our Christian worldview, they have their worldview. Um, and we're looking at what their belief system is, their web beliefs. And if you guys look at the picture, if you guys remember, this is from last week, where I mentioned about how worldview is circular, and it's almost like a circuit board, right? And there's three switches, at least three switches that you could have more. Some people add aesthetic, some people add other things. But a worldview, in order to have power, it actually has to be circular. And each switch that makes it possible is actually different um, dimensions, right? Um, epistemology, remember, is how do you know what you know, right? Worldviews is how you view the world, right? You ask questions, how do you know things? Um, what do you believe exists? We call that metaphysics, right? Um, and also ethics, how do you live in this world, right? So all these things, web of beliefs, they're all interlocking. And the way we critique this, in other words, to show there's problems is one way, like I mentioned, is to say, is it arbitrary? And that is, it's just the wires and each switch, they're not even connected to one another. They're just arbitrary, right? They're just kind of there floating, but it doesn't connect with the rest of the thing. So you expose that by it's arbitrary. Another way is inconsistency, right? You show that the switch is broken or whatever, where it doesn't flow. 
it's not consistent, the flow, okay? Um, if I could draw that as an analogy, it doesn't flow, okay? Uh, and the third critique is also saying it doesn't have explanatory power. For instance, if you say there's no God that built something, then what do you put as your God or as the ultimate thing as your battery? And does that thing able to explain everything else? In other words, giving a precondition to explain things, okay? So these are the three ways we, we see critiques of that. Um, that's going to be how, keep this in mind, because when we look at atheism, we're going to be asking the question, is it arbitrary? We're going to ask, is it inconsistent? That is, it's not allowing it to connect, right? If it's epistemologies, has, say, okay, you cannot know this, then, then later on they sneak in something they, they know, but then their foundation for knowing, their criteria of knowing, undermines that, then, then therefore you have a problem where it's inconsistent. Or also as well as, hey, it doesn't even give the ability to give an account to explain human uh, experience, whether it's intelligible or meaningful in a foundational level, okay? Um, I know some of this might seem abstract, but I believe me, I, I was trying to really write these words as simple as possible. If you look at some of the literature and presuppositional apology, man, some of them could be, they could get pretty wordy, okay? So I'm trying to be as keeping as, um, as, as marine style as possible, right? For crayon eaters, Marine Corps style, right? So that it's easy, okay? So let's go on to the next slide. Uh, is I want to look at, in light of this refutation, uh, I think even as abstract it is, keep that principle in mind, I think it's best illustrated when we go over um, how do we refute this. But before we do this, I want to define some term with an atheist worldview. Okay, let's go to the next slide. If you look at this picture, this was from last time, and I mentioned about how worldview is connecting. I, I know last uh, we drew it as... Um, as a circuit board, and this is the most um, dumbed-down version, okay? This is the most dumbed-down, well, no, nothing fancy, is really remember, like, the question is, what is your authority, what is your view of reality, and how do you know? When you think about they're all interconnected, okay? Um, in atheist worldview, oftentimes, think about how they often say God does not exist. They'll say, well, I've never seen God. Anyone ever heard that before? I don't believe in God. I've never seen Him physically. I've never um, heard Him spoke to me. So that view of their theory of knowledge is something called empiricism, okay, that you could only know things by your senses, okay, and then you connect this with materialism too, is that, that their view of reality is, hey, everything that exists must be only in this world, and must be physical, or, or converted into energy, okay, so when we look at this worldview, they're, they're kind of connected, okay, they're kind of connected, because if you believe everything that exists is material, and the biblical God, by definition, is immaterial, remember John 4, 24, that God is spirit, then you automatically the atheists will rule that out because of their view of what? Of reality, because of their prepackaged worldview rules it out, okay? But I want to clarify all these, defining these terms, okay? I just want to point this out. Atheism is a worldview, okay? Um, let's go to the next slide. I just want to define terms. Hopefully, are you guys able to still see? And I, I know... Um, I just cut and paste from my outline. I'll, you know, if, sorry. Okay. Thank you so much for that. So atheism, like, I'll just define it real quick, is a belief that there's no God. Okay. I know there's some atheists, if you read some of the literature, they define it as lack of belief in God. Uh, I personally don't think that's a very honest definition because it's not just, oh, I, I lack a belief because it's, they believe there's no God, and then they build everything else up on top of that, okay? Because there's no God, then they have a certain view of ethics. They say, okay, then it's whatever I want to do, or some of them would have more sophisticated versions, okay? Um, so that's atheism. I think that's more simple. There's no belief in God, okay? There's no God 
who exists. There's another word called naturalism. Okay. By the way, when we go over these words, some of them could have different words meaning for for other in context. Okay. So we're dealing with philosophical naturalism. Um, and this is the belief, naturalism is a basic belief that the material universe is all that there is in existence. Okay, obviously if someone believes that, they're not going to believe in God, right? Because they believe everything's material in the universe, that's all it is. Let me read on. It says, this means that the universe is a closed system with no supernatural explanation for any of life's question. And I'm actually quoting this from Jeffrey Johnson in his book called The Absurdity of Unbelief. Okay. Um, page 129. So these quotes are, are from <coughs> apologetics books. Okay. Um, we go on. So that's what naturalism is. Usually people could associate that with atheism. But I also think um, sometimes people could even group theism, where you believe that there is a God that made everything, but he left everything hands free. There's no miracle. That could also be some people would see that as a subset of naturalism. Okay. Um, let's go on to the next one. What is materialism? Um, again, we're not dealing with physical, like, you know, I'm not talking about when I say materialism, I'm not talking about what the Kardashians have, okay, where it's just materialistic. I'm talking about philosophical materialism. And this is, uh, I'm now reading this from, this is from, um, actually, I don't think this, okay, okay, I think my PowerPoint got kind of all messed up. But this is actually um, from James Anderson with this quote, um, materialism is a view that everything is ultimate in nature, okay? At the most fundamental level, everything that exists consists of nothing but matter and energy. So everything that exists is matter and energy. Let me continue to read. Um, everything is governed by the basic laws of physics and in principle can be completely explained in terms of these, those physical laws. Every object is a purely physical object. Every event that occurs has a purely physical cause, if it has any cause. In short, the universe is just a collection of clumps of matter following the laws of physics. Okay. When we go over this, I just want to ask you guys, do you guys know anyone that believes this, that, that say, hey, I don't believe in God and this is all they believe? Um, anyone have that experience with that? So, you know, this is what, you know, is materialism. Okay. And empiricism. What is empiricism? Uh, it's l basically knowledge limited to the senses. Okay, so empiricism, in my own words, is you the, is a view of re how you know what you know. Is your way of viewing the world where you think the only way you can know things is by your five senses. Your five senses: what? See, taste, touch, smell, and hearing. Okay, where it's those five senses and it being amplified. Whether you use a microscope to look at something really small. Or, or a telescope, right? Where you see something really far away. So it's those five senses and it being amplified. It's how you know what you know. And you're saying this is the only way how you know, okay? So empiricism saying is the only way you know is only your five senses. I want to make that very clear. Because as Christians, I do think we can know things by our five senses. But we believe there's other ways we know things besides our five senses only, okay? So that's empiricism, okay? Um, this is a longer, this one is actually from Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. If you look at a longer one, it's empiricism and philosophy is a view that all concepts originate in experience, that all concepts are about or applicable to things that be experienced, or that all rationally acceptable beliefs or propositions, proposition, by the way, is sentences with truth value, true or false, okay, are justifiable or knowledge knowable only through experience. This broad exp definition accords with the 
derivation of the term empiricism from the ancient Greek word empiria, meaning experience, okay? So this is running upon your experience, specifically with your five senses, okay? I want to stress again, it's experience with your five senses. It's not saying you have an inner religious experience. That would be another philosophical thing that sometimes people call it, um, you know, they could call it um, existentialism or even irrationalism, okay? Or even sometimes, even certain forms, depending on what it is, it's called idealism also as well, okay? Those things are often contrasts with empiricism. Now, let me stop this point. I'm not trying to make everyone be lost. Let me stop at this point. Um, is there any questions with definitions so far with what we mean by various things? I want to ask, is there any question before I ask, how is this related? And then we go and refute this, these things. Any questions with the meaning? Okay. Chris, if we could go back to the previous slide, one slide earlier. When we talk about empiricism and materialism, if you look just back at this picture, remember the atheist worldview, we see at least there's three dimensions, right? These are the three um, bone structures for a worldview, right? Your ethics, your metaphysics, and, uh, and your knowledge. Now, when we look at the atheist worldview, you would notice right away from what we de definition provided, it's actually antithetical or incompatible and even contradictory to a biblical worldview. Now, in the biblical worldview, we do believe you can know things by your five senses, but we believe it's more than your five senses. In, a un in this worldview, it's reductionistic. What I mean by reductionistic is just reducing to a false either or, right? It's saying, you know, you only know things by your sense and you cannot have other ways of knowing things, okay? So notice there, again, um, before we refute, we go on to refute this, why we refute things at a world view level is this. Notice how there's a relationship. If you only know things by empiricism, then what you would find out, what you would believe about reality is you would only find out what? There is material, materialistic worldview, or another name for that is physicalism, okay? And also, that would also, we, when we refute this, we also want to even impede gold further is also there's implication what you think you your theory of knowledge and your uh, view of reality would also shape your view of ethics your view of ethics what is what you can and cannot what you should or should not do what you um ought and ought not to do okay so it's going to impact this and we're going to be looking at it and say is atheism when you take the full package is it something that is actually rational and I would say it is not, okay? If you could go on to the next slide, and, and the next slide after that, two slides down. Yeah, see this? This is a picture of a toy, okay? Uh, there's a reason why I have this, is the way I'm trying to make this as Barney style as possible to teach my kids. Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, you guys know what epistemology is? Yeah, I know what you know. Okay, I feel happy now, okay? But we see this, uh, I could give an analogy of uh, um, our epistemology with this. You guys see, this is like a toy, What's kid's that? toy, right? We don't even have this anymore. This morning I asked my wife, I was like, hey, uh, while we're eating breakfast, like, this will be a good analogy for uh, then do we have any of these toys? And I realized my daughters are growing up too fast, right? And then they said, oh, all the toys we have like this is at church. So you look at this, is probably some Fisher Price toy, right? Where you put things, you shape according to its what? According to what matches it, right? Um, that's what you do. And I actually think this is a good analogy of how worldviews work. Um, if we look at those different shapes that's outside, you guys see that little red, orange, uh, correction, red, I think it's red, I'm slightly colorblind, so is that red? Yeah, that's okay. right. Uh, red um, triangle, okay? 
um, I consider that as like facts outside of us, okay? And you could picture this whole box is like inside of you, what you know. What you know will be determined by your epistemology, by what's your criteria of knowledge. Does that make sense? So if you, if let's just say, if I have a really big object that's a pentagon, and none of these shapes have pentagon, will that pentagon fit in inside, inside of me? It allowed, no, because my epistemology filter out what is real and what is not real. Does that make sense? Does that make sense with my analogy? Um, this is, um, so this is partly stolen, or I, I borrowed it, and I put my fingerprint on this analogy, from Van Til, but I cannot find Van Til where he read it. I know he, he said it in a book called Common Grace, but his book Common Grace is like, um, it's pretty long. I could not find it. Where he mentioned about how an analogy is, how there's an analogy of someone that throws out a net. And he thinks whatever his net catches in the sea is then he consider it a living uh, sea creatures. And then he has a rip where some whale cut through and he thinks, oh, whatever that was ripped it must not be a living sea creature because I did not catch it with my net. So that his criteria of what's living is whatever his net catches. Does that make sense? And he thinks everything else in the sea is not living. Now, I bring that up as an analogy is this. This is what I think the atheist worldview have a reductionistic uh, theory of knowledge, a bad epistemology. Does that make sense? So drawing this analogy, but before we do this, I also need to point out that all of us have criteria of knowledge. With everything out there, we also sort it out too. What is real? And by the way, Christians were called to be discerning. Amen? We have to be discerning. We should not be spreading things that are false. Okay, we must be uh, having this, okay? Uh, okay, thank you. Mention real quick. Bo mentioned that Rushduni uses that analogy too. Um, Rushduni was one of the guys that was the first popularizer of this method of defending the faith that I'm trying to teach. Okay, um, so this is what we we have here. Okay, so with this, I'm gonna try to see and say when we look at atheism, I'm gonna ask: Is there net of atheism? Is this thing could atheism even acknowledge with their epistemology even? grant things that we take for granted as real that exists and also we ask the question not only is it consistent does it even give explanatory power and does it even destroys itself okay so let's now go to the next slide so now we're going to look at problem with empiricism again why i'm looking at empiricism is not because i'm just trying to be philosophical the reason why is because if this is the way that an atheist use as their weapons to say I don't want I will reject God because I've never seen him, taste him, ever heard him, audibly speak to me. If and I'm gonna say, okay, if these are your tools, are these tools really good to qualify for this? And by the way, what I'm doing I actually think is actually very biblical. Remember how Jesus he did not right away give um, good. Uh, he did not right away, hey, you know, to the Pharisees say, hey, here, I know I'm, I'm the Messiah. These are my authority and I'm going to give you the evidence. And then just for them to say, hmm, I reject this because he challenged him by saying, do you even have even a good criteria? Because if you are to reject John the Baptist, why, why even give evidence if the criteria is already bad? And he wants to push them to the limit of saying, okay, if you want to take this so far, something that all the people accept, then, then let's go uh, and press the challenge. And by the way, I want to say this also as well. This is actually something everyone that is rational, not just only biblical, does. Um, I don't watch a lot of courtroom cases, but I remember as a little kid when I was like in third grade watching the O.J. Simpson trial. If you guys ever remember watching that trial, that was at that time the longest trial in America. Where I remember 
you know, this is why I end up being a UCLA student because I remember O.J. Simpson could play for USC football, but man, when you need a good lawyer, you go to go get someone from US, UCLA Law School. Okay, now I'm not going to get political about all this. Please don't don't with everything. I'm not going to talk about the verdict. But remember one thing that was fascinating as a little kid watching this, you know, because it shows before like the cartoon, it would interrupt because it was special trial and stuff like that. Where the lawyers would even sometimes say, "Let's have the jury leave for a moment," and the lawyers would talk first about what is the criteria of evidence. Is this is this a good philosophy of evidence? Before they then say, okay, let's bring the um, jury back and then present the evidence. If you notice one thing, lawyers that are very good, is they consider a lot of work that's done is before the show trial ever began. They talk about criteria of evidence ahead of time. And if, if the criteria of evidence is bad, then well, should we have a case or do we not? Does that make sense? So in the same way, we're looking at if this is a tool that's used to reject the existence of God, I want to really look at this critically. Both as a Christian, the obligation as we see the Jesus model example, and also any rational human being with this. So we want to look at the problem with empiricism. Let's go on to the next slide. So remember the criteria of empiricism is you need everything that is considered knowledge must fulfill the criteria. Let me say this. Must fulfill at least once, one instance of ver- being verified by our senses, right? See, taste, touch, smell. Now, you don't have to have all, and to be fair, I don't want to misrepresent empiricists, is that you need all five uh, things, right? Um, for instance, let's just say, I believe, I see this is a mouse. Girls, do you guys, is this a mouse? A computer mouse, right? Computer mouse, let's be careful. Okay, how do we know it's a mouse? Because you see this, right? It squeaks, okay, let's not be funny with that, right? By the way, every log- every joke, if you guys realize, have um, structures of logic, too. It's unavoidable. That's going to be uh, when we go down the road. Even jokes have structures of logical fallacies, right? That's what makes it funny. As my daughter just right now made an equivocation fallacy, right, of saying, you know, mouse, there's two t- different terms, and when you confuse that, right? Um, even jokes, something as mundane as, I actually think even jokes is a proof of the existence of God, but we'll get there when we get there, okay? But with this mouse, right, we, we see this, and we verify by our senses, because why? We see this, and in my case, I touched it, right? Now, empiricism does not say you have to have all five, right? Like you smell it, and then you lick it and taste it, right? So you need at least once of these things, right? Okay? So here we see um, the criteria is the five senses. But I think there's a problem with empiricism, um, because... Oh, um, so would you be able to get my books? Those two? Uh, I think uh, I had two books here earlier. If you could get for me um, The Absurdity of Unbelief and another book that is What is Your Worldview? Thank you. Okay. So much. Okay. So, so I didn't able to make this PowerPoint pretty clean yet. Um, so here, one of the, I think the problem with, remember the criteria of empiricism needs to be verified by one of the five senses. But I think the, the problem with empiricism, this, and again, empiricism is believing that only your five senses could verify um, things that could be considered facts, is that senses themselves do not rule out the existence of things beyond the five senses, okay? I could give an analogy. This is from... Um, this analogy is not original to myself. This is from Jeff Johnson. He mentioned about how this is a pretty a strange method to say empiricism is only way to verify empirical fact is the only way of truth. He mentioned this. He said that let's just say there's a deaf person. Um, the deaf person has no right to deny the existence of sound just because he cannot hear. 
Likewise, because scientific knowledge is limited to the study of the cosmos, that is, the physical world, it is insufficient to make the claim that only the cosmos exists. Okay, so he's making this analogy of saying, okay, just because someone do not have other senses, let's just say, person can't hear, that person then cannot say, hey, there's no such thing at all as the experience uh, of the ability to be able to hear. It's almost like, um, what's her name? Uh, what's her name? Keller. Helen Keller, you mean? Yeah, so I, I don't know why I want to say Tim Keller. Helen Keller, okay? Helen Keller, she cannot see and she cannot hear. But then she then rules and say, hey, there is no a possibility of a physical world where there is sound at all and where there's things, okay? So he's making this point here of saying there's this first problem. Yes, it is a tool. Your five senses is a tool to know things about the world, the world physically outside of you. But then that's kind of strange to make it absolute and then rule out that there's no other dimensions beyond the five senses, okay? So that's, I think, the first thing. And I also think there's a categorical fallacy. There's a categorical fallacy here. And I'm just going to uh, read real quick from, again, Phil Johnson's book. Uh, not, not correction, not Phil Johnson. Jeffrey Johnson, okay? Uh, on page 165 of his book, he mentioned that um, looking for empirical and material evidence for a spiritual and invisible God in the physical and material universe is like looking for the builder of a house in the part of the house itself. Okay, so he's pointing out there's a categorical fallacy when people use this to apply this to theology. Because theology, we would say a Christian theology of God says that God, there's a creature-creator distinction. If you guys remember, um, last year when we went over the attribute of God for one whole year, we saw that very beginning, the first attribute we looked at, I called it God is unique. But the theological term often is, in systematic theology, they call it um, the creature-creator distinction. So if God is not inside creation itself, then how then could we use a tool that's meant to be only looking at the physical world and say, hey, I look around and there's no God. In other words, it's making an error. A criticism, I would say, is making a categorical fallacy because I'm claiming a God that's also immaterial. And then they're saying, okay, look, I did not empirically verify this, okay? Now, if I were to claim that well, not I, but let's just say there's someone that's a polytheist and said, you know what, a, a platypus is my God. That's a very different claim because it's empirical, hello Caleb, that's empirical and material in nature. And then therefore you could critique it. But then here, you see here what's going on here is there's actually um, a logical fallacy. But to press on a little bit more, remember how we drew the analogy? We, we had the analogy earlier of that toy, that Fisher-Price toy that's a shape um, whole uh, toy, right? Where you can fit in. The question then is empiricism, if that's the case, we ask the question, is empiricism, are there things we could know that exists that is beyond our five senses? And I would actually say there are things that people believe, even that are non-Christians, that people believe that exist even without um, beyond our five senses. So this is the problem I would add to this. Again, let me say this again. The first problem I would say is um, give the analogy where hey, it's a tool, but you're making a tool absolute. You're making it into an idol and therefore ruling that out. That's the first problem. Number two is making a categorical fallacy, right? It, it's almost like if I were, um, you know, categorical fa fallacy by that me means it's talking about two different, it's apples and oranges, right? It's almost if I come up to you and say, um, what is the color of the musical note C? Does that question even make sense? No, it's confusing categories here, okay? So that's the second uh, error. And the third one 
I want to say and point out is this, is that if empiricism is true, then it rules out a lot of things that exist. But then if it's the criteria is the way it's, you can only see, taste, touch, and smell, then therefore it cannot even exist. What are some of those things? Include what? Um, the laws of logic. Okay. Let me stop at this point. What are laws of logic? Oh, okay, actually, Rebecca Abigail Hanna, what is logic? Yeah, if you heard Rebecca Abigail Hanna said, logic is a principle of correct thinking. It's all laws of thought, right? Um, but laws of thought, are they physical in nature? Are they physical in nature, right? Uh, I would say no. Um, anyone knows any of the laws of thought? I think there's Ben Wartz here. I know you're into apologetics. What is one of the laws of logic? The law of non-contradiction, okay? Rebecca Abigail Hannah, could you guys get me a paper real quick and pencil real quick? The law of non-contradiction. Do you guys know what the law of non-contradiction is? In saying that when you think properly and also what exists in reality, abide by a rule, a law that says that what? Two or more items or objects cannot be, um, cannot be, uh, cannot be uh, opposite of each other. In the same way, in the same sense, okay? So, some people say, oh, and I have this a lot, um, where even people that are philosophy students, when I was at UCLA, will say things like, okay, you know what? I do see the laws of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction is saying, if I could just write this out, if you guys could see here, if you guys uh, are looking, if your screen does with that, okay? So, law of non-contradiction is saying A cannot be uh, non-A at the same time, right? Uh, I cannot be, for in instance, um, dead and not dead at the same time. True or not? It is something... And by the way, with that, there's also another law, excluded middle. I cannot be half pregnant. True or not? Uh, I cannot be half pregnant uh, or, or uh, a quarter dead, right? So with all this, with these thoughts, some people say, hey, it is physical because I can see it, right? But is this really itself the laws of non-contradiction itself? What I drew in the paper, is that actually the law of non-contradiction? No, because if I ripped it, did I just, oh, Jimmy, you just destroyed the laws of logic, right? No, those are symbols of the laws of logic. But the laws of logic itself is immaterial. The laws of logic does not extend into space. Does that make sense? So if that's the case, and I would actually say another subset. I mean, um, my daughter, was it you, Rebecca? Someone this week was just, uh, we were doing math for homeschooling. was just saying, Dada, like... Math is kind of like, was that you, Rebecca? Yeah, you were saying, Dada, math is almost like logic. And I was saying, you know what? There, oh, my classification of things, I actually think laws of mathematics is a subset of the laws of logic. If laws of logic, we define it as laws of thought. Okay? So there's no laws of logic. There's no mathematics. And I know some of you guys would say, hey, what about I see one item or... One pen, two pen, ha, 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 right? You know, with the sesame tree, right? And you say, okay, there's two. But the concept of numbers itself is immaterial by nature. Does that make sense? It might manifest in concreteness, but its nature of itself is what? Immaterial. And by the way, we also know that there's some numbers that are not physical, right? Things like irrational numbers, Okay, and, and I won't, don't want to get too crazy, square roots and all these other things. But we see the ideas, right? What we see here is you would not have that if you hold to empiricism. Another thing is also other minds. How do you know there's someone else that have other minds? Philosophers talk all about this. Okay, If you think this is simple, I, I think if you read the literature, 
especially secular literature on the problem with philosophy of minds, it is mind blowing. Why do we assume? You know, Caleb joined us just right now. Why do I assume someone has a mind? It's one of those things that you cannot empirically verify. I did not, and by the way, I think the brain is more than the mind. Okay, we'll talk about materialism later. If you think the brain and the mind is exactly the same thing, that presents more problems. But here we see that the mind, right, is more than that, okay? Um, more than just the mind. And if you say the brain is exactly the mind, that brings all kinds of problems. Moreover, empiricism itself, is also self-refuting. Do you guys know what I mean by self-refuting? What I mean by self-refuting is that it cancels itself out. That if it is true, it's already false. Empiricism itself, what is the nature of empiricism? It's actually an idea, true or not. Is empiricism something that's actually physically in space and time? No, right? Is empiricism like something you could see? Um, another way of thinking about it, if something is empirical, you could always say, where is that? True or not? Um, and when? Did, when did it exist? That kind of thing, okay? But where, so when we ask the question, where is empiricism? That becomes a nonsensical question because we all identify right away. There's nowhere, empir empiricism does not have an address. It is not at our church at 4047 North Durfee Avenue, 9173 to El Monte, right? It's not, there's an address. There's never been a morning I woke up like, ah, and then I just get out of the bed and, oh, I stumble. Oh, wow, my, I, I stubbed my toe against the empiricism. Because empiricism by nature is an idea. Notice that it's self-refuting, that if empiricism is true, then it is already false. It is self-refuting to begin with. Does that make sense? It's almost like saying, it's like someone that goes around and says there's no such thing as truth. Then you ask the question, wait, is that true? Is it's true. But if that's true, that's already false. Okay? So in the same way, empiricism is self-refuting. So when someone presents to you to go to and rejects God and say, hey, I don't reject God unless you give me a scientific evidence. By the way, scientific evidence, when they have that, they're basically scientific is actually the core root is empirical. There could be empirical knowledge, but we would say it's not empiricism, where all knowledge is only empirical. So when someone comes with that, notice they have more problems. Like again, going back to the example, if someone comes to me and says, hey, when was the last time you beat your wife? My question is, how did this guy even know in the first place? I have problems with his epistemology to begin with. So be wise. As believers, we have to be what? As shrewd as serpents, but be as innocent as doves. Do not let a non-believer, when they come and says right away, let them get away with it. But you need to point out, because that's the elephant in the room. It is self-refuting and blows himself up. Let's go on to the next point. Oh man, I'm going to have to go a little quicker for the sake of time. Materialism is also a problem, okay? Again, what is material? When we say materialism, again, remember what we defined earlier. Materialism is saying it's a belief that everything that exists, that is real, that we could call true, is material, is physical. And that criteria then is anything that has size, shape, speed, and mass. Okay, But if that is the case, if that is materialism is the case, if that's real, then there's this problem. Because why? Then there will be actually no morality. Because why? When we think about morality, think about this for a moment. Uh, what is something that's right and wrong? We would say, I don't know, do not murder. Okay? It seems that um, most people believe that as Christians. Of course, there's some that don't, right? I'm not get, by the way, I don't believe in morality just because of consent. I don't, I don't count how, how much knows. I don't count votes to say what's right and wrong. Okay, we'll talk about that when we get there. 
about even the source of morality needs God. But at the very moment, we could say, let's just say uh, the one that non-believers often use. It seems like non-believers, the number one verse that non-believers know is what? Thou shalt not judge, right? Thou shalt not judge. Does it have any size? How tall is thou shalt not judge? We would say that's a nonsensical, categorical fallacy, right? Because it doesn't have any size. Thou shalt not um, judge. Does it have a shape? Does it look like a triangle? I mean, is it like, does it need to go on a diet or what? Right? It has no shape, okay? Um, does it have speed? Right? Does it, how fast could it go? What is the velocity? What is its acceleration? That's a nonsensical question. And does it have mass? Well, how much space does it take? Right? None of these things is, is the case. But if that's the case, there is no morality in a materialistic worldview. And by the way, this matters because when an atheist goes to them and says, Hey, you know what? You, cannot, you should not be a Christian. Notice the key word is should not. They're actually prescriptive. They're actually saying, if you're rational, if you go by the laws of logic and laws of rationality, you should not. But they don't even have that. They can't even mount that offense to have that because they don't even have morality to begin with because the worldview undermines their morality. In other words, their switch are all broken. Okay? There's no morality of is ought. Okay? Here. And there's also fatalism. If materialism is true, there's actually no will, okay? I do make a distinction between free will and will. I do believe God could shape us, and I do believe while God determines things, but God is personal. There's still reasons why he do this. But fatalism is the worst kind of material uh, determinism. Is Fatalism is a determinism where there's nothing personal. In other words, there is no existence of a will at all. I know sometimes people call that free will or, or just will, but there's no such thing even as will. In light of materialism, because in your mind, okay, if I could just read real quick, um, this is from um, Richard Dawkins. You guys all know Richard Dawkins. Um, he's an atheism, atheist, okay. This is what he says um, with this, with his worldview. You know, he thinks that our minds came from, is what, uh, came from, basically, our brain is nothing more than bunch of moving neurons, okay? He says this, Human thoughts and emotion emerge from exceedingly complex interconnection of physical entities within the brains. Listen, if you're, if materialism is true, then you're nothing more, everything in your brain is just happened to be a bunch of moving electrons and neurons and neutrons and protons a certain way. Then therefore, really, when you think about it, it's fatalism. But it actually destroys the possibility of knowledge. So if we go to the next slide, Okay. Um, if you guys think about it, what happens if atheism is true and everything is materialistic and there's no person in the end, um, there's no personhood, no will at all, then materialism basically means making even reasoning nonsense. Because only you guys ever have this, let's just say I do math. Okay? Well, my youngest daughter, let's just say I have to say, Hannah, what's two plus two? Four, okay, and one of you guys use a calculator, but what happens? Let's just say if there's no person at all, and everything's was a product of randomness, of chance, and a bunch of material. You might as well roll your dice. Would you say rolling a dice? You roll two dice, and it happened to be, or you roll a dice, and it happened to land on four. Would you say you actually know two plus two equals four when it came through a dice versus someone that count by hand, or or they know the law itself? You would say no. It's because it's the randomness of chance it's just a bunch of moving neurons if i could use that analogy that's like our brain that if it's all a product of chemical of time and chance and nothing 
And it's, therefore, you can't even know anything. So what I'm trying to say is this. The atheist is planting his feet firmly in midair. He's trying to set up a cannon to blow uh, up against God. But he doesn't he have a cannon to land anywhere, to even put, to even shoot everything. Okay. If I could have another analogy, he's having like a gun that's jammed. And I'm telling him, please don't pull the trigger because you're going to blow yourself up first. Because your gun is horrible. It's self-refuting. It, it's self-destroying. And before he, he's destroying himself because he... he make a mount a case against God is where we see the problem here he cannot reason his he destroyed the foundation of intelligibility of reasoning thinking um, the minds don't exist wills don't exist in other words his worldview is utterly irrational how could he then say Christianity is irrational when he himself is in the whole sea of irrationality he cannot climb out of it from his own with this let me stop at this point you can stop the powerpoint presentation um any questions so far